0: Uh, chapter nine uh, is, is where we'll be preaching from this morning verses one through nine and and I come with it with a great burden but a great joy upon my heart this morning on the the truth that scripture reveals to us the reality that we see just inlaid within these words of who we are as a people who we can be what God wants to do what his mission to do is and then and continues to be in our ter- current time current period current era. Current day is what He wants to do. Now, today as we're continuing the book of, of Acts, I want us to talk about what grace does. Amen. What grace does. So, Acts chapter 9, verses one 1- to through 9 will be our reading this morning. We'll have it up in the screen or you can follow along with the Scriptures. Uh, but I, as we read this Scripture, we we most of us probably understand this story. Most of us probably know about this. Most of us have probably read this or heard it read or heard it taught in sermons before, in Sunday school before, as a youth before maybe even. And, but I want us just to really open our minds, open our hearts to this story and understand where we stand In ourselves within these Scriptures, where it is that we rest, what position we take here, and and where we can go from there. Amen? As we understand and study into what grace does. And we'll discuss what grace is here in just a moment. But the Scripture reads like this. It says, Then Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and, and asked letters from him to the synagogues of Damascus, that if he found any who were of the way, the way was what they had called the Christian faith at this point. It wasn't called Christianity. It was, We didn't have uh, you know denominations and things at that point. It was just considered the way. If he were to find any that were of the way, whether men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. As he journeyed, he came near Damascus, and suddenly a light shone around him from heaven. Then he fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Sau, Saul, Saul, Why are you persecuting me? And he said, Who are you, Lord? Then the Lord said, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. It is hard for you to kick against the goads. So he trembling and astonished said, Lord, what do you want me to do? Then the Lord said to him, Arise and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. And the men who journeyed with him stood speechless, hearing a voice but seeing no one. Then Saul rose from the ground, and when his eyes were opened, he saw no one but they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And he was three days without sight, and neither ate nor drank. book of Acts, chapter 9, verses 1 through 9. Let me describe for you just for a moment. And the man Saul that we later begin to know as, as Paul. Paul... In the Scriptures and our understanding of church history, if you were to rank Christians of the faith, followers of the faith, disciples of Christ, Paul would be at the top. right? Majority of the New Testament, a large portion of Scriptures in general, were written and penned by this man. Majority of your favorite verses that you may quote, that you may have written down somewhere, stitched on a pillow, whatever it may be, there's a good chance... Paul was the one that wrote it. He wrote with his inspiration. He wrote with passion. He wrote with zeal. The words that he spoke were real. They had evidence in in our life and in his life at that time. It really connected with the people of the world. This was Paul. Good man, great man, planted churches, rose up leaders. Trained other pastors to go out and do great things for the cause of Christ. He did everything you would think of that would define the typical great elect of the church. This was Paul. Yet before he was Paul, his name was Saul of Tarsus. And everything that Paul wasn't, Saul was. Where Paul was merciful, loving, kind, where he was just did everything for the Lord, served the Lord passionately, took upon the cross upon Himself to do what He had to do to spread the message of the Gospel. Saul did everything he could to tarnish, to stamp out, to kill and destroy and hinder the Gospel message. We see here, and if you just look through some of his acts that are detailed in the book of Acts, you look at some of the things he also talked about in his own letters of what he had did. We know he was there when Stephen was stoned. So they cast their cloaks. There, at Saul's feet, as they went and stoned him, he just basically, as a Pharisee, he was giving them all the reason, all the evidence, everything that they needed, the approval to go and do this. He approves of Stephen stoning. He sits there and watches it, understanding and believing this is for the good of the temple. This is for the good of the Jewish people. This is for the good of God. He does that. He goes, and here we see in this book, it says, still speaking, breathing hatred. I utter I've seen things about the church. Here we find him in the beginning of this chapter, talking about the church, talking about the way, going and finding it through the prophets, saying, give me what I need to go out into these other synagogues, these other places to do what I've already started in Jerusalem. Let me finish what I've started was his mindset. Let me finish this work that I've done. In his mind was good work, was the work of God, what God desired him to do, what he was called to do in the temple, what his position was, what his role to do. This was his purpose. He was alive at this time during this season to stamp out the heretical teachings of Jesus Christ. This was Saul. This was who Saul was. And I want us to think for a moment, just for a moment. And I know if I put myself in these shoes, if... If I was Peter, if I was John, if I was Stephen, if I was some of these other ones, maybe that were in the church of that day, maybe the lay people, maybe all the way up, would I have willingly and openly prayed for Saul's conversion, or would I just prayed that I would just avoid Saul as best as possible? Right? Would I have sought or thought that Saul had any chance in the world to receive what I'd received in myself? Maybe not. Would I have sought his salvation just as much as the person next to me? Maybe not because of my view and my worldly thing and my flesh speaking out for itself and wanting me to be preserved and get through life and not have to worry about this, I may very well think that Saul was a lost cause. Right. But here we see grace introduce itself into this, into this story. Right Here we see grace evident and thick and present. And there's a certain few things that grace does. And we're going to talk about some of those things this morning. And like I said, I want you to think about your life, about your personal walk with Christ, if you claim to to have one, and if you don't have one, I want you to think about where you're at and where you stand. And I want you to think about what grace has done in your life and what grace may be trying to do in your life that you may be hindering or not allowing grace to do. Amen. So these are some things... That grace does. Amen. Grace calls us. Grace calls us. If you don't understand the gospel, if you don't understand the reality of, 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 of the text, of the scriptures, uh, of the whole flow of it, right? You don't have to know every verse in the Bible to understand the simplicity of what the gospel is. The gospel message simply and solely is this. Romans tells us it says that we are all sinners. We are all lost. We've all come short. We have all fallen. The Bible tells us one place it says, man born of a woman in a few days, full of troubles, full of sin, full of digression, full of all these things that we do that we should not do, full of disobedience. It says, we have this. And it also tells us that because of that, death and hell are a reward. That the consequences, the payment of sin is death. We understand that that is the gospel message. But it is purely by God's love and mercy and grace upon us. That we are called to enter into a relationship with Him. What does grace mean? We say grace and we like the word grace. and It it sounds pretty and it sounds religious and it sounds like it gives us hope, makes us feel good sometimes. What is grace? Grace solely means this in a simplified manner. God's unmerited, undeserved, unearned favor, love, or mercy. That's what grace is. And it's because of his unmerited favor, love for and love for us that he calls unto us. Even when I have brought great reproach upon his name, even when I have rebelled against him. Daniel 9 9 says this. It says, to the Lord. "We understand, these people were in captivity, right? Daniel's people were in captivity at this time. They understood it was their disobedience. He later on in this chapter details that it's because of our disobedience that we are here. Yet, he says, to the Lord our God belongs mercy and forgiveness. What does that mean? It says God has love, mercy, and forgiveness for them. To the Lord our God belong mercy and forgiveness, though we have rebelled against Him. Daniel says, even though we have rebelled, even though we have been put into captivity and slavery and bondage, even though we have done idolatry, served other gods, turned our back on Him, done everything and anything He has told us not to do, yet our God still has mercy and forgiveness. Grace still calls us. Grace still bids us come. In this Scripture... It says this about Saul says to the Lord, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. It is hard for you to kick against the goats. Other translations say pricks. If you're young, you probably do not know what this means. If you are old, you may understand what goats and pricks mean. All he is referring to, this is a common turn of phrase at this time in society. At this time, they would put the great, the, the, the great burden over the, the beast of burden's shoulders, right? They would hit, hook them up to the plow or whatever it may be. And then if the animal did not want to go to spur them on, they would have long, thin strips of timber with even maybe just sharpened or maybe a metal tip on the end that they would just kind of poke it, poke it in the hind end with to try to get it to move. A little faster in the right direction to pay attention to what the person, the leader, the master was trying to convince it to do, right? And some animals were stubborn. We aren't stubborn, are we? But some animals are stubborn, right? And they would go and they would kick against the goat. When that would happen, it wouldn't make the goat it wouldn't make it go away. It wouldn't take the pain away. It would oftentimes make the prick or the goat to stab further into the animal and cause. More pain. What God is saying to Saul in this moment is, Saul, you're just causing yourself more and more pain the more you push against me. The more you reject me, the more you deny me, the more you don't listen, the more you ignore and disobey, it is causing you greater grief, sorrow, and pain. Saul, Saul, why do you kick against the goat? Don't you know? What this tells us, this was not the first time God had talked to Saul. This was not the first time he had bid him come. This was not the first time that grace said, Saul, there is something going on here. You have heard testimony as men and women that you tortured and beat and killed screamed out and cried out. They continued to hold true to the fact that Christ has resurrected Saul. Saul. You have heard my gospel by all these that you've done, all these evil things and atrocities against. You know the Word. You know the Scripture, Saul. He tells us later on in Scripture, he says, I am the Jew of all Jews. I know the Scriptures. He says, Saul, I have bid you come. My grace has been made evident to you, invited you into a relationship with me, yet you continue to kick against the gold. You continue to reject me but here I am again Saul grace is still here grace still abounds grace still is calling and bidding for you Saul won't you won't you come grace calls and when we answer the call of grace grace changes us amen changes our course, changes our direction. Saul's path was set. Life was a little bit different in that time than it is today. Your career, your path, oftentimes was decided for you by the family that you were born into Saul was born to a Roman father, but his Roman father paid the dues and did everything he had to do to get Saul into the education, into the training, into the apprenticeship that he needed to be in to work his way up through the courts, through the temple, to get to this position of a power and authority that he had at this time. Saul's course was set for him. And Saul had done everything he could to advance his course as far as he could. He was honored and glorified and thought highly of amongst the Jews in Jerusalem and throughout all of Israel. And then he takes upon this cause upon his shoulder to go out and to persecute and to turn against and to move against all these followers of the way, these heretical believers in Jesus Christ, to get them back to where they were supposed to be in the temple following Jewish tradition, doing what Saul thought was right. And he was just glorified amongst these people. Saul's path was set in life. It wasn't just set in life. He had a clear direction of where he was going in this moment, right? He made it very clear to the high priest. He said, let me go to Damascus. And it says he was near to it. It says as he drew near to Damascus, his destination was established and was set. And what he was going to do was determined in his mind. I want to go into the synagogues and I want to find these houses and I want to find these groups and I want to find these people that are following the way and I want to put them in bondage and I want to tie their hands together and we're going to drag them back to Jerusalem and we're going to find out where other groups are. We're going to find out where other ones went and we're going to do what we have to do to snuff this out. His course, plan, and idea and thought process was set. Yeah. Amen. But grace changes us. Yeah. And we see that in Saul. Grace changed Saul. Scripture says, so he trembling and astonished. said, Lord, what do you want me to do? Everything I've said about this man named Saul of Tarsus. Everything we know about this man called Saul of Tarsus. Even how he writes about himself, even once he is saved, tells us this is a confident man. This is a man who has every bit of self-belief that whatever he sets out to do, he is going to do it or he's going to die trying. This is a man that has no doubt in himself. No anxiety, no worry, no fear, nothing. This is a man that is strictly confident. Yet, what do we see? When faced with the grace and the mercy and love of God, he is set trembling and astonished. Grace will shake you and grace will change you right. and make you into maybe something that you never thought you would be. I'll never be a preacher. I'll never go to church. I'll never go and sit with those hypocrites and sing songs about an imaginary God that don't believe, that don't exist. I'll never do this. I'll never do that. This is who I am. This is who I was born as. And I'll never change. Grace will change you. Right. Amen. Grace changes us. When grace gets a hold of us, and His love and mercy begins to sink down deep inside of us. My dad would used to say, underneath the collarbone. When it gets inside of us, it begins to do something inexplainable, incomprehensible, something we just can't put a finger on, that we just don't know what's going on. But something begins to happen. Grace changes us in the moment, in an instant. Saul is confronted by the power and the strength, but also by the mercy and the love and grace of God. And he is set trembling and made astonished. This man who would do anything and everything, see awful atrocities, done by his own hand, here is changed when confronted and touched by grace. Grace should change you. Grace should move you. Grace should make you into something that you weren't before. Grace should make you more like God. Grace should make you more like Christ. When we experience the unmerited, undeserved favor and love and mercy of God, it should not leave us unchanged. And it should continue to change us from the moment and the instance we experience it the moment and instance we open our eyes in heaven. Grace should continually be changing you, molding you, and making you into something different on the daily. I would dare say that, that there is cause for concern when we have lived 30 or 40 years and we said that we have experienced grace, yet we have changed nothing in our life. Because experiencing grace will change you. Not might change you, not hopefully will change you, not if you cross your fingers and close your eyes and look a certain way, I can see a little bit of change. If you've experienced no change by experiencing grace, maybe you've not experienced grace at all. Grace will change you, mold you, make you something new. The harshest, hardcore, most set in His ways person when experiencing the grace of God was changed in a moment, in an instant, to something that nobody would have ever said He was. Here later on in the Scripture, some of them were even confused about who this was because he was so different. They had to call in people that had been tortured by him, basically, to say, yeah, that's the guy that hit me. That's the guy that hurt me. That's the guy that turned me out of his house. He didn't act that way then. Something's different, but that's still that man. Grace should change us. So it calls us, and it will change us. But grace also completes us. (coughs) We may look at our life. And you may sit here this morning. On September 17, 2023. And you may come in in a good place. And you may come in thinking that you have fulfilled all that needs to be fulfilled. And you may come in thinking that your actions and your deeds and your work and everything is suitable and fitting and enough to give you the reward that you so desire. Maybe that reward is a fine home. Maybe that reward is is all the things of life that you may desire. Maybe that reward is even you, you think you've done enough to enter into heaven and make heaven your home. I want us to understand that it takes grace to complete us. If you would have asked Saul the day before he left for Tarsus where his home would be when he died, Saul would have sworn to you that it was heaven. He would have. There had been no doubt in Saul's mind. If I died today, I'll go to heaven. There wouldn't been. He thought and believed with every atom within his being I am doing the will of God. I am serving him. I am honoring him. I am doing what scriptures have told me. I'm doing what I've been taught, what all these other ones have shown me, the Pharisees and the Sadducees. I'm the best of them. I'm doing great and fine and dandy. If you would have asked them, is your life complete, Saul? Is your life what you want it to be, Saul? Is your life where it needs to be, Saul? Is your life what God would desire for you to have in your life right now, Saul? He would have said yes. Undoubtedly. Yes. Yet he experiences grace. He experiences grace, and it took grace to complete him. You see, Saul had a form of religion, but he had not yet received redemption. Redemption. Saul was a server, yet he had not yet received salvation. Saul had all honor and glory in Jerusalem amongst his peers, amongst those that he looked up to. They thought highly of him. Of all those around, he was the, the catch me out, the pick of the litter, the guy. Yet he had no hope in salvation. He had everything you thought he needed, but he wasn't complete because he had not received grace. And as, as as people in the world sometimes. We may sit down and we may look at our life, evaluate our paths, take account of our actions. And we may look at what we have received and what we have earned what we have bought and what we have brought in, what our storehouses may hold. And, and we may look at all of our uh, accommodations and all the things that we have accomplished and all the things that we have, we have been able to do through our own power with our own abilities, through our own gifts and graces. And we look at that and we may think, it's enough. And when we may look at that and think, I'm complete. I am whole. I am who I need to be. I am pleasing to everybody around me. Surely I am pleasing to God. It takes grace to make you complete. All the titles in the world does not make you complete and all the possessions in the world does not make you complete. All the gifts and abilities does not make you complete. All the degrees and all the knowledge and all the wonders that you may be able to gather into your mind does not make you complete. Everything that you have done, all the people that you have served, all the ones that you have helped, all the moral aptitude that you may have does not make you complete. It is grace that completes us. And only grace that will make us whole. And it's only God's unmerited favor and love and mercy for us that will deliver us to the other side of Jordan to make heaven our home. It takes grace to be complete. There are people that spend years and years and years Establishing themselves in the circles that they so desire, building the names and the titles that they think are important. And they think that that they should, that people should should want to have. People should uh, go and push for. They're doing everything they have to pull in the possessions to make it look good, make everything look good. Yet they still sit at home incomplete because they have not received and experienced the grace of God within them. Maybe they've seen it afar in the lives of others. Maybe heard about it or read about it or, or watched some special on the news about it and scoffed at it and they think, that's I don't need that. I've got everything I need right here. Yet they sit in the middle of the night thinking there's still something missing. There's still something missing. <coughs> I heard a story once of a pastor over in a United Kingdom, I believe it was. And said so he pastored a church and he said there was one sunday he preached and had an altar call and, and he said he was just it, it just, just stood out to him that sunday he, he said knowing a little bit about the town knowing a little bit about some of the people who came to his church sometimes he, he said he looked down and he recognized that that the, one of the main judges in the area was was there in the altar and he said, right behind, right beside him was was somebody that had been convicted of a crime and just recently had been let let out of the out of the jails and things like that. And and he said it just it just kind of shook me. Said because as he began to think, he 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 said he remembered that this very judge was the one that convicted the man to the seven or eight year sentence, whatever it was that that the man had just got done certain. And here they sh- shared the same altar. He says after service, he says the he says the man that had just got out of jail, you know, kind of left. He he said he got a chance to talk to the judge, and he said, hey, I, I noticed. This. Did you notice? Did you notice you came and prayed with you, prayed beside you? And the judge said, uh, he said yeah, he said I noticed that. He said, and the judge told me, he said, man, he said just the grace of God is just so. So mind-blowing, right? And the pastor said, yes, the Lord reaches all those no matter where they've been or what they've done. And the judge said, no. He said, that man knew he was in the wrong. He understood that. He'd served his sentence. He'd done his time. He realized that his actions throughout his life was wrong. He said, I was raised in a prosperous home given every means and ability to succeed in life that could have been offered. He said, I I was raised amongst other gentlemen. I was taught how to be a gentleman, how to fit in with society, how to be the elect, how to be astute, how to be great, how to to have people look at me and want to be like me. He said, I went to Oxford. I went and got my degrees. I I learned the things I was supposed to learn. I, I went in at the bottom and I was raised up very quickly. I got to the position that I so desired to have. For me, the idea that I was in the wrong was so strange so familiar, unfamiliar, so alien that it took the grace of God revealing itself to me to understand that I too could be just as lost as those that I convict to the prison every day. It took the grace of God shaking Saul, blinding him on the road to Damascus to help him to understand that Saul, you too can be wrong. You too can be so far out in left field of where you're supposed to be that it takes me moving and working in you and only by me moving and working in you to get you where you need to be. Saul, you need grace too. Bible tells us, it says that he was (coughs) blinded. He opened his eyes. It says he could see no man. It says for three days he's that way. Three days he sat alone. Three days he sat, and neither did he eat nor did he, did he drink. He was incomplete. He was not whole. The Lord told him, here, he said, arise. Even The Lord knew he was blind. Saul didn't yet, but the Lord knew. He said, arise and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. This chapter continues on. I encourage you, if you've not read this chapter this previous week, read it this week, read it this evening, right? He says, Go to the city and you'll be told what you need to do. The Bible says that Saul, like I just said, went to the city, sat there for three days, didn't eat didn't drink. he drink, sat there alone, he sat there in meditation, he sat there crying out to God. The Bible says that the Lord spoke to a man named Ananias, a faithful man, a a, a a disciple of God, one that followed him, one that was obedient to him. So he spoke to Ananias and said, Ananias, I want you to go to this city, right? I want you to go to this town, right? right? Right next to you, right? This house, just a couple roads down, a couple corners down. I want you to go to this house. So that does you. will find a man called Saul of Tarsus. He says, I, des- I have desired him. Do you know what Saul means? Saul means to be desired. The children of Israel wanted a king. They desired a king. God gave them Saul, that which was desired. God meets with Saul in Damascus because God desired Saul. And He sends him to Damascus. And then He sends Ananias to him. And through the, him experiencing grace afresh and a new. God moving in his mercy and favor and love. He owes and Saul through Ananias' obedience. Receives his sight again. And it says he begins to go and preach and teach in the synagogues that which had he had experienced. And then taking all of his understanding and wisdom of the scriptures and applying it anew to his new understanding of the gospel, teaching the Jews, teaching those, teaching anybody that would listen that they need to experience grace as well. Grace will call us. Grace will change us. And it's only grace that will complete us and make us whole. We must experience grace. You may sit here. You may think, well, I've, I've been saved for years now. I've experienced grace. Some of us become so unfamiliar with what it was to experience grace that we become hard. We become calloused to the world. We become calloused to those that are lost. And we just don't show that same grace to others like we should. Some of us, yes, we are saved, but grace is trying to call us out of the, the sin that we are still living in. Trying to change us. Yet we scorn and reproach and rebuke the mercy and forgiveness of God as it calls us into a new life. calls us into leaving the old things behind. It wants to change us, yet we have not allowed it to, to change us. Maybe yet still you have received the grace of God, but for you, you just believe the enemy has made you believe that it is not enough, that there is still something to be possessed still something to be had, still something to be earned, still something to be bought that would make you complete. Understand this. If you have the grace of God, you are complete and whole. You have been made into the creation and are being made into the creation that God so desires for you to be. And whatever you may possess, whatever you may gain, whatever you may receive, the entitled, position, authority, and power of all the possessions of the world will not make you complete. Embrace and entrust your life to the grace of God. It is grace that makes us complete. It is grace that makes us whole. It is grace that we need. This is what grace does. This is what God the Father, God the Son, and the Holy Spirit want to do. To use grace to make you new. Whatever way you find yourself in this morning, whatever way you entered into these doors, whether you may have been saved for years and years, yet you have rejected the full working of grace in your life. Maybe you have never been saved. Maybe you've thought about it. Maybe you've mulled over it, chewed on it, yet never accepted the grace, the free gift of, of the pardon of sin that God offers through His love and mercy that we have not earned in any way, yet you have not received it. I invite you, and I encourage you, in whatever form, fashion, or way that you find yourself this morning, the altar is open for you to touch the grace, feel the grace, understand the grace a little bit more, get closer, experience it a little bit deeper, to allow it to have more control of your life, to have it more presence in your everyday being, to let it be the grace of God that it is supposed to be in your life, wherever you find yourself. 来<音樂><音樂>